0: NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
1: with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
0: I'm June Grasso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli on a huge news day. President Trump is one step closer to being only the third president impeached in our country's history. House Democrats unveiled two articles of impeachment against the president. Then, about an hour later, House Democrats announced an agreement on a revised trade pact with Canada and Mexico putting Trump one step closer to a major political win as he heads into the 2020 election. The timing was not a coincidence. We're going to be talking about that, but House Democrats unveiled two articles of impeachment against the president this morning, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Here's House Intelligence Chair Adam Schiff.
3: The president's misconduct goes to the heart of whether we can conduct a free and fair election in 2020. It is bad enough for a candidate to invite foreign interference in our political process but it is far more corrosive for a president to do so and to abuse his power to make it so.
0: My guests this hour are Ash Wright, Republican strategist and political advisor to George W. Bush, former political director for the Republican Party of Texas, and Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. So Josh, starting with you, only two articles of impeachment. A lot of people, including myself, were expecting at least three. So obstruction of justice, which both Nixon and Clinton articles included, is not there. What are they saying about these, you know, the limit of this?
1: Well, I guess if they were seeing it as a case of uh, over-promising and under-delivering, or at least trying to focus this. I mean, you know, the Democrats continue to argue that they, the president has left them effectively no choice. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi said today it was not a coincidence that this landed on the same day. Uh, of uh, their deal on the USMCA. I don't really buy that so much. She chalked it up just to sort of the the December rush. But, you know, they want to sort of be hedging this with this uh, sort of, you know, other hand approach of giving Donald Trump a trade deal, albeit albeit a revised trade deal, while also sort of, you know, dragging him into the town square. So that's where we're at with this. And, you know, I think uh, we're going to be hitting the gas on it for a little while. But uh, how quickly both those things will move in the Senate, is an open question, so they'll, I think they'll be linked going forward for you know, you know weeks or, or, or more.
0: Also joining us now is Louis Miranda, former DNC communications director. Was this a good move by the Democrats to limit this so sharply to two articles of impeachment?
4: Well, I think that uh, for the American public, they kept it simple. I mean, this is a a brief document that's easy to get through for people who are curious uh, to be able to understand the concepts. I think one of the things that was definitely evident in the Mueller report is that there were 10 very clear cases of obstruction of justice. But it got very confusing for the public. And I think as far as this is a political process, uh, constitutionally demanded political process i think it's important that it's clear and easy for the uh, general public to understand and take away uh, what's at stake here and why they're doing this and i think they've laid out a compelling case that is borne out by the facts the fact that the president uh... violated his authority and and very clearly Um, uh, used his power to try to get political advantage in the upcoming election this isn't even about 2016 but the advantage that he tried to gain in the uh, 2016 election and I think as far as you know whether it's the markets or businesses are concerned they've there's been a lot of non-reaction so far and I think part of the reason for that is is one the expectation that maybe the Senate doesn't act but also that if he's gone uh, maybe a President Pence isn't such a bad thing either
0: So, Ash, we've had days and days of hearings, and lately two days, basically, of hearing lawyers talk, whether it's law professors or counsel for the various committees. So do you think that the Democrats have done their best, or have they made a good case for Republicans to deny impeachment?
2: Well, I don't think that they've made a good case for themselves to accuse the president of something that is impeachable, Um, or as an impeachable offense. I do think to Nancy um, Pelosi's credit and to the Congress's credit, uh, uh, to be a a conservative and give them credit is, if you look back to Bill Clinton, when he was impeached, there were actually four articles of impeachment, but two of those failed. And so I think they looked back on history and uh, made a wise decision to simplify the process and to um, limit it to um, to two articles of impeachment. But I think um, uh, what they're um, uh, essentially accusing of, the president of, um, and, and what um, uh, they said today was that it, it was a matter of national security. But as, as Trump has argued all along and as Republicans has, have argued all along is that um, foreign aid isn't a matter of national security for us here at home. And so I, I think there's, there's a lot of gray area. I don't think that they actually made their case. And I think that's why they're having to move on and move forward with a vote that will be straight down party lines. We all know that Nancy Pelosi does not lose votes from her party on the floor. But at the same time, as of today, there's not a single Republican that's stating that they're going to vote um, with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats for impeachment on either of these two articles. And so um, it's, it's going to be a party, uh, a party line vote, and I think um, that will, in the end, be, be a mistake for them as they move into 2020.
0: And uh, Democrats say that they have moved the process forward quickly because they have enough evidence and because they want to get this over with quickly. Um, Lewis, I believe there are two Democrats already who've said they won't vote for the two articles of impeachment. Does Nancy Pelosi have a hold on her caucus?
4: Uh, she'll get the overwhelming majority that she needs. I think the the greater issue will be um, how many Republicans are moved. You have a lot of Republicans who are retiring on the House side. You have a lot of uh, Senate uh, Republicans who are looking at, at races in difficult states. And so you're going to see uh, pressure, I think, mounting in, in those spaces. There, there's not really a question about uh... the democrats holding together enough numbers it'll be just a question about whether any republicans start to fall as the numbers continue to creep up as they have you have a majority uh... now who support both uh... impeachment uh... and removal to slightly different varying numbers there uh... and that's significant that's a big change and and the more that this gets attention the more that the president acts uh... in an in an unhinged way uh... that could very well affect them and again i think the case the democrats have to be making is that um, uh, you know that there's there's a very credible and serious case here. Uh, th- th- there is a national security aspect to this because it's not just foreign aid; it's foreign aid specifically uh, to hold the line on Russian aggression against the West, against our allies in NATO. Um, Donald Trump has made us less safe, has made our uh, traditional allies more unstable, uh, our traditional alliances, and and that has an impact uh, that I think Democrats have not spoken to enough, which speaks to our stability financially. Um, from a perspective of of economic security as well as national security. And I think if they start to make those broader arguments that connect to a wider audience, like the one here on Bloomberg, I think you'll start to see uh, much more interest in uh, at least some Republicans who are either leaving or vulnerable to, to rethink their position.
0: And Josh, today, President Trump hosted Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov just hours after the House Democrats unveiled articles of impeachment. And what I heard on the Twitterverse was, well, the president of Ukraine couldn't get a meeting with Trump, but Russia's point man gets a meeting.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that was really interesting that came out of all the documentation over the last several months, you know, amid all the... uh, uh, high temperatures I think we've had here in Washington, <laughs> Very uh, it, high. is that uh, it wasn't initially clear that the big thing that Ukraine wanted, arguably more than the aid, was a White House meeting. It was at least, you know, roughly on par. They uh, Foreign governments seek this. It's an instant shot into the arm of legitimacy. And so they haven't got that. He did get a meeting at the UN General Assembly in New York. That's close. But, you know, to, to invite arch rival Russia, you know, our invader Russia, uh, in, instead, is, is, is definitely a rebuke of Zelensky. And, and the readout from the White House of the meeting today, press weren't allowed into the meeting nor, I would add, were Russian press or Russian photographers. <laughs> Last uh, time we learned so, a lot from them, didn't yes, we? Yes, yes. Press weren't allowed into Incredible the meeting. You that, have that, to make that clarification. Yes, it is unusual. <laughs> it is unusual for Trump not to open up that kind of thing. The press were not allowed. So the readout, they said, is that the president, quote, urged Russia to resolve the conflict with Ukraine. That is like urging a bully to resolve the conflict with someone he's picking on. Uh, you know, anything less than, I think, full throated support of Ukraine in the Crimea. Situation um, is it will be noted and, and uh, by is, both countries,
4: and this is bookended in such a fascinating way because you have the meeting with Lavrov two years ago, uh, at which he uh, basically cheered the fact that he had just fired the FBI director, uh, and then the most interesting thing too is that this call with uh, Zelensky on the twenty fifth of July, where he asked him to carry out these investigations against his political rival um came the day after the mueller report he he references it in that call and so uh there's it's almost as if he's uh, you know egging people on and and asking for for just greater scrutiny in in the way that he times these things and and look he knows that that uh, impeachment uh might be politically advantageous to him i think he's been playing on the idea um that sort of that same bravado that he exhibited when he said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nothing would happen to him, I think he he wants this to, to be out there because he thinks it helps him politically. Um, and, and Democrats certainly didn't wanna to have to go down this route. They're doing it because constitutionally they're, they're obligated to, and I think it's the right thing yeah. to do. But but there is that sort of dynamic where he seems to be just uh, sort of uh, showing off at the, at the same time.
0: So, Ash, if you were advising President Trump, would you have advised him not to have that meeting today with Lavrov because you know the optics of it were just odd, if nothing else?
2: Sure, I, I definitely think the optics of it were very strange. I, I, I think there's it's kind of more complicated than just an advising of not taking a meeting. I mean, these these meetings are scheduled months and months out. These people are traveling in from foreign countries. It, it's very difficult to just say to just say hey look it's it's not a good day democrats um you know came out and and announced these articles of impeachment which resolve around this ukraine issue and and so the optics of it look bad because then the optics of canceling meetings over the fear of looking bad would also be optically bad and so you know i think it's one of those things that that i I think maybe the um the planning on the democrat side maybe is a little too coincidental um for the american people and, and of helps muddy the waters and does um, uh, kind of get at the president publicly and politically um, in a sense that um, as lewis pointed out they do tend to bookend his meetings where he's doing actual foreign business um, for our nation with politics here in washington dc all
0: right well let's explore that more and we're going to be talking coming up about that nafta agreement which the timing there was more than coincidence according to nancy pelosi but do you believe what she said? And also, download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can find us on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm June Grasso. You're listening to Bloomberg
3: 99.1. Success is more than a destination, it's a path you take one step at a time.
1: This is Bloomberg's Sound
3: On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
0: I'm June Brasso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. Well, the NAFTA overhaul has been languishing for more than a year. But today, about an hour after House Democrats announced two articles of impeachment against President Trump, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, flanked by more than 30 of her colleagues, announced the long-awaited trade deal. She said the back-to-back announcements were not a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. It's just as we get to the end of a session, uh, there have to be some decisions made. Uh, The timetable for impeachment is the timetable of the committees. And that came to an end uh, with the hearing yesterday. But still, an hour apart. I want to talk to my guest this hour, Louis Mor- Luis Miranda, sorry, former DNC communications director, Ash Wright, Republican strategist, and Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. Well, Louis, do you buy that uh, that that uh, explanation from Pelosi when oh, they could have waited a few hours or a day to announce?
4: Hey, why not? The timing's right. And look, I think that the most important thing here is that Mexico is the number one trading partner. Earlier this year, it it, it surpassed uh, Canada. It's uh, um, traded, U.S. and Mexico traded $309 billion worth of goods. Uh, 15% of all U.S. trade in the first six months of this year alone. And so it's it's a deal that needed to get done. Democrats have been working very hard on it. And this isn't just that they're now rubber stamping what the uh, U.S. trade rep and the Trump administration had done. Uh, they did a lot of negotiations where they got a lot of concessions and changes made in terms of enforcement and, and on the labor and environmental fronts. And to be able to really make sure that worker protections are in place – uh, that were a problem under NAFTA that were either unenforceable or just there was not the kind of monitoring that there needed to be. So uh, the fact is, they actually made this trade agreement much stronger, a model of what trade agreements could and should be. And so uh, it's uh, more than appropriate that it comes out. But it is important to note that Mitch McConnell uh, they'll they'll take it up in the House this coming week. But but Mitch McConnell uh, has made it clear that it won't be taken up in the Senate until after impeachment is done. But nonetheless, it's an important thing for uh, our largest trading partner.
0: So Josh. Nancy Pelosi made clear that this was a better deal and that the Democrats had done so much to improve it. In point of fact, had they done a lot to improve the deal? Had they brought labor in? And-
1: yeah, well, uh, yeah. I mean, getting the endorsement of the AFL-CIO was not a slam dunk at the beginning of this process, so I think that that's notable. One change, and it's a bit in the weeds, is they, they, uh, Lighthazer agreed to remove patent protection for biologic drugs these are sort of expensive heavy-duty drugs and they would have forced mexico and canada to raise the patent protection would been good news for american drug makers bad news for users of those drugs in mexico and canada it's gone now and the reason pelosi wanted it out of there is because she never wanted to hit that floor if the u.s ever tried to lower its number below 10 years so she she got that removed as part of a sort of long-term plan to lower drug prices here so bad like i say bad news for drug makers but a significant significant uh thing you know uh, that, that the trade wonks of the world will, will dig into you know president trump just spoke about this he just left the white house on his way to a rally in pennsylvania and he said without impeachment they never would have approved it and this has been a line we've heard today and you know i think there is Some some truth to that. Uh, But again, uh, the Lighthizer to get this deal, to get Pelosi's blessing really did have to give up some core things.
0: And, Ash, this is a a big win for the president as he runs for reelection in 2020, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the president um, campaigned on this. Um, he promised this. This is something that a lot of his base, the farmers that are living in rural parts of our country that are voting in swing states like Wisconsin, et cetera, have been have been leaning on the president very heavy to do. And, and part of what this brings in is an additional, um, uh, you know, $2 billion in exports for them, $25 billion in gross domestic products available for them. And, uh, you know, and then, and then not to mention the milk, egg, um, poultry part of um, uh, exports and imports with Canada that'll be a part of this. And so it was very important for the president to get this done. And I also think that he sees it as a win going into 2020 um, in a lot of these swing congressional districts. If you look back to 2018, when Democrats were very successful um, in the congressional map across the United States, a lot of Democrats won based on a health care message. And so a part of what the president um, did, which was against um, many inside of the party, which wanted him to side with Big Pharma, um, but he, he actually compromised on that, allowed Democrats to um, go against those intellectual property rights, um, which will, in essence, bring down drug prices because it will allow um, for, um, uh, you know, for non-name brand drugs to control the market, essentially, and bring down drug prices. And and I think the president and many Republicans will campaign on that in 2020. I do think Lewis is right in in a sense that um, Republicans will wait until after impeachment hearings in the Senate to pass it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I personally, I think, see that um, as a um, as a political mistake by Republicans. I think they should take this up, pass it immediately in the Senate. But um, uh, but, you know, nevertheless, I think as long as it's done early in 2020, it'll be a win for Republicans. And I
1: think that the White House agrees with you. They think it's a political mistake, too, because the statement from the White House uh, today said it's long overdue for Congress to take up the USMCA. And we expect to push hard on passing the implementing bill before the end of of the year that is a shot across the bow of mitch mcconnell a gentle shot across the bow but still (laughs) you know that that statement came out after mcconnell made it clear he wanted to vote on this after the impeachment trial
0: let's listen to mitch mcconnell
1: what is not possible obviously would be to turn to a an impeachment trial or to do usmca in the senate before we break uh for christmas
0: so lewis Really, not impossible? Not possible to do USMCA before Christmas?
4: I think it is. I mean, Nancy Pelosi made clear that we should be able to uh, walk and chew gum at the same time. This has been the Democratic mantra that you can both do impeachment and continue to do the business of the American people, and and I think that's an important element. In fact, uh, today she was asked at another event. Um, uh about you know the timing and and whether uh this was something that made sense to do at the same time that you're impeaching the president and she made it clear that even though they democrats have to uh live up to their oath to uphold the constitution uphold and defend the constitution that that doesn't mean that we hold up things that are good for the country like uh this trade agreement and so um i think that uh the political pressure is there from all sides and uh and and there's no reason that it can't get done.
0: Ash, any reason why McConnell might not be willing to do it now? Is is there anything else going on in the background or does he just want to say we have this impeachment stuff is just hanging us up and it's stopping us from going forward with other things?
2: Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I'm sure that there are many actions going on behind the scenes. I'm sure that um, Big Pharma and some of these other losers in the deal um, are, are putting a lot of pressure on senators and members of the Senate to um, to, to make changes to this in the Senate and, 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 you know, versus just passing exactly what has been agreed upon. Because one of the things that, that we forget today is that really today is simply just a handshake agreement mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know that handshakes in Washington, D.C. Are, are very meaningless or are not very meaningful. <laughs> and so, um, you know, look, I think there the Senate is getting a lot of pressure. And so it's easy to buy time with, um, by, by blaming the, um, impeachment trial and the hearings. And, and that's what they're going to end up doing but i think in the long term it's a it's a political mistake and if
4: this is important for the president he's going to pressure them not to delay this or try to mess with it or change it and and he's not going to want to see significant changes that then force um you know any any kind of further delay or 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 collapse this he wants this win and so th- that's the reason that i think the senate will ultimately uh rally around it at the same time he's also facing the pressure over all of the other trade issues the uh, tariffs and uh the deadline with the chinese coming up uh so there's a lot of people who are concerned about uh what it means to to their pocketbooks um, to have these uh 25% duty on about 250 billion dollars of chinese products which the president claims the Chinese are paying, but that the general public is seeing that it's actually coming out of their pocket. And so he doesn't more want. more coming this week. Maybe. Yeah, he doesn't want that, uh, that fight on USMCA to drag out while he's also trying to get those things done.
0: A lot of moving parts here. And remember the Democratic candidates for the presidential nomination? Remember them? They've really been in the background lately, but we're going to look at a new poll coming up. And remember to download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7
3: FM HD2.
0: I'm June Grosso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli on a day where the news just didn't seem to stop. So let's take a minute to look at the Democratic prospects for a presidential nomination. New poll came out today, Monmouth University poll, and let's start with Trump's re-election prospects are holding steady at 43%. I'm talking with Louis Miranda, former DNC Communications Director, Ash Wright, Republican strategist, and Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter. So, Josh, a month in here, and the impeachment hearings don't seem to have moved the needle at all for the numbers on Trump's re-election.
1: No, I I mean... I've always kind of wondered. I mean, in many ways, the ballot question next year is really baked in. It's you know Trump or no Trump, and I, I think that's why we've seen the candidates really not engage too strongly on it. I mean, it's not it's not like there's Democratic voters that they're wooing in a primary that are like on the fence about Trump, you know. So, and it's actually aligned really nicely, I guess, for the Democrats in a way. Or poorly, I guess, depending on if one of them ends up on the losing edge, where they're starting to really go after each other. In particular, Buttigieg and uh, and, uh, Warren have been uh, slugging it out lately. I think that's been interesting to watch. Uh, Biden's been obviously under uh, the microscope uh, again, um, but his polls really... Don't seem to move. I feel like voters are, are kind of like the reporters I know, where they're just sort of like in shock of all the news that's coming their way. And, it yeah, it is like it's overwhelming some days, like it. Yeah. today
0: was o- just overwhelming, one thing after the other. Well, um, Lewis, we have the numbers. It seems like the, the top candidates just seem to be switching positions a little bit or or getting, uh, you know, the numbers a little off here and there. So former Vice President Joe Biden, 26 percent. Former Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren is at 17 percent. And Vermont Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders is in second place at 21 percent. I read
4: those a little bit backwards.
0: So, what's happening there it's just it just seems to be not a great movement
4: well it definitely seems like the top tier is solidifying and no one else has really been able to to break into it um which speaks to the the dynamic that you have with the the two wings if you will of the democratic party uh consolidating behind who they care about warren and sanders on the uh progressive left and uh Biden and Buttigieg a little bit closer to the center there, um, and and so that's significant because it's it, it it lays out that it's going to be very hard for anyone else to to break into that top tier. Though I do think it's notable uh, that Michael Bloomberg has, with his advertising blitz, been able to climb in in that initial polling um, into now uh, I believe it was between four and six percent. Um, and so that's significant, too, because uh, it shows that there's a little bit of room for somebody else to, to still uh, make space in this. But but the, the dynamics, the contours of the race are pretty well laid out. Um, I think next week's debate will be interesting, December 19th, when Democrats gather in Los Angeles for their next debate, because a lot of candidates that uh, people expect to still continue to get airtime, whether it's Julian Castro, um, will not be there. Kamala Harris obviously dropped out. Um, Andrew Yang apparently just qualified, but Michael Bloomberg won't be on that stage because of uh, just his recent entry and just not having met those qualifications. And and you have to wonder uh, if if that's a smart strategy on the part of Democrats to to not just be a little bit more inclusive in this next debate. Um, you know, nothing to really lose at this point, uh, and and uh, give the voters a little bit of. of, of an, another opportunity to to look at people. Last year we did a debate uh, not last year but the last cycle on December 19th. Um, it was a Friday night and we still had over 10 million viewers. And so these uh, you know there's 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 interest at this stage and and people want to, to see these candidates and so I So would I think they have the to the change
0: marrier. the rules then?
4: Uh, yes, obviously what they've been doing is debate after debate they've been increasing the requirements both in terms of individual contributors to the campaign and pulling in, um, in national and state polls. And uh, that's slowly winnowed down the field uh, um, and, and made it harder for people to qualify. Uh, but at, at this stage, it, it seems a little odd that they're not being a little bit more inclusive.
0: So, Josh, what's your take on that? Because I really am waiting for the field to be narrowed so there are less people on stage and maybe you can get more content out of them.
1: Well, I think, I think, I think you're getting there. Harris you know harris not lasting until iowa or even super tuesday i think uh, is surprising to some and so i think i think you know whether you get some of these more straggler type candidates who are consistently in the one or two percent range uh hanging on i'm not sure it like materially affects the race in the way that someone like harris dropping out you know more like substantially changes some uh, some of the predictions that were out there initially but look they you know uh I, I continue to be amazed uh, at the length of uh, elections in this country. <laughs> like it's a, it's, we're still, it seems we still, like have quite a bit of time. Already. I mean, you know, like there's a, it's, there's a reason the field is. Is is big still? So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I've g- given up making hard, and fast and, predictions. And, and look, thing. there's
4: a, there's a very uh, interesting dynamic, which is so many candidates who are saying, "Well, we're going to kind of not put that much emphasis on Iowa or New Hampshire, and we'll compete in a different state." It was a catastrophe for Kamala Harris to do that, thinking that she could wait till South Carolina. Uh, in in that sense, these national polls don't mean a heck of a lot, other than they give you an indication of who's got uh, name recognition and. And enough funding and such, but the reality is that um, you have to make some kind of effort. The people who don't perform well in Iowa and New Hampshire will have that much harder of a time keeping support that they might have right now in Nevada, South Carolina, and the states beyond that. Um, so th- that's going to be a- an interesting dynamic. I think the campaigns that entirely forego Iowa. Uh, make a big
2: mistake in that regard yeah so we, as, we,
1: sorry go ahead so
2: sorry yeah absolutely so we're 55 days out of the iowa primary today and so when you break that down that that means that if you remove christmas there are only six saturdays left for each of these candidates for retail campaigning to actually make their bus stops to get out there to, to shake hands with voters and so these debates are becoming increasingly important in, in the way that they're going to be viewed and, and, and the way that they're going to be seen. But a lot of candidates um, essentially have 55 days to prove that they can be viable in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, or South Carolina before they get to Super Tuesday. Um, and as we all know, Super Tuesday will, um, will control basically, um, yeah I think I think almost 40% of all delegates available up to that time with California Um, Texas, North Carolina, uh, et cetera, on the ballot on Super Tuesday. And so. And
4: and Democrats have a huge business of campaign problems, which is the business of how you actually reach voters in advertising, uh, which is that the Trump campaign has outspent all of the Democratic field on social media advertising uh... digital media uh, by by a lot and and that's significant and it's also significant that democrats with their concerns over privacy issues and some of the other problems with the tech giants are putting pressure on those companies where now we saw twitter's not going to do any political advertising google's curtailing it cutting back putting greater restrictions and uh... tbd what happens with facebook but that ends up becoming a problem for democrats who uh... really need digital and social media to better reach their voters and so i think they're shooting themselves in the foot on that front
0: well, we will see. This seems like it's a long way off, but it is coming upon us. All right, coming up, A.G. Bill Barr doubles down on his rejection of the Justice Department's Inspector General's finding and accuses the Obama administration of spying on Trump's campaign. I'm June Grosso. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
3: This is Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The real meat of Horowitz's work and the real thrust of the report actually deals with the conduct of the investigation. Uh, Where I think it quickly became apparent that it was a travesty.
0: That was the Attorney General, William Barr, the nation's top law enforcement officer in an NBC interview, contradicting the key findings of his own department's inspector general's report on the FBI's decision to open an investigation into then-candidate Donald Trump's campaign in 2016. I'm June Grosso, sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. I'm joined by Josh Wingrove, Bloomberg White House reporter, Ash Wright, Republican strategist, and Louis Miranda, former DNC communicator communications director so Josh President Trump also uh, echoed Barr's comments this afternoon
1: yeah and you know this is this these these comments by Barr are the classic sort of audience of one situation we see this a lot with this administration where you know, people do interviews for you know maybe they're advancing an issue or whatever and sometimes they do interviews because they know the president will be watching them this feels like it's that category I think it's worth noting that you know the AG is is supposed to be a little bit out of the partisan fray and I think we need to bear that in mind as we look at Bard's interaction the last couple of days you know really um, expressing uh, a lack of confidence in the FBI over those 17 17- years Errors or omissions uh, uh, that, that were revealed in this IG's report. Um, so uh, you know he he is certainly pushing against what had been more of a history of kind of the AG in particular. You know not really engaging with the the partisan uh, fisticuffs that we've seen that, that you know other other members of the cabinet might do. So I I, I just continue to feel that we need to note that. Barr does not view his role as apolitical or more apolitical. In fact, he views it as the opposite, or at least he's crafted this public persona viewing it as the opposite. He's turned into this sort of attack dog. And it's it's made clear that even though that report, the headline finding of that report, uh, goes against Trump's um, characterization of what happened in 2016, uh, they're going to continue to bark up this tree right up through to 2020 and afterwards.
0: So, so, Ash, is this what we want from an attorney general of the United States? As I said, the top law enforcement official.
2: Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that part of the problem uh, that we have here going all the way back to this. so So all the way back into the 2016 election. Is, is that that the president of the White House and and subsequently you know Attorney General Barr believed that there wasn't enough evidence to actually spy on the president and his campaign and and what I think that they're trying to do is trying to, to make the case or, or trying to essentially allow the American people to understand that there was a deep state um, and that they're trying; he's trying to clear out the deep state um, and, and keeping it non-political, but it, it comes across as political. But but that's really essentially what he's trying to sell as as his end game. Because part of what happened along the way was the American people, not just Republicans, but but American people in general, lost faith in the FBI, and the Department of Justice, etc. And I think he believes that by by being open and transparent that it will help to restore and allow the american people to see what actually went on behind the scenes All right. this, Lewis, th-
0: look, 30 this was, seconds
4: <laughs> this was something republicans wanted because they claimed this conspiracy theory that there was a deep state that was trying to do this fbi investigation to uh... Push trump off in 2016 and it turns out that it was a lie and that there wasn't anything uh, wrong with them investigating and doing their due diligence and and that's notable and look trust is important he's undermining trust in our Uh, legal institutions. If you want to know why trust matters, look at what happened to Peloton where there's a a loss (laughs) of trust and they've lost billions of dollars in this. All right. uh, Well said
0: in 30 seconds. Fabulous. Uh, I'm sorry we've run out of time. I want to thank you all, Lewis, Ash, and Josh. And a note that Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. And that does it for today. I'm June Grosso and sitting in for Kevin Cirilli, of course, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.